Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Clean Libertarian Podcast. It's your one-stop destination for everything involving the war on drugs and what the libertarians want to do about it. And uh, here we are. What are we, uh, five days into the Joe Biden presidency? Uh, yeah, not looking too good, guys. Not looking too good. Uh, there's been some some executive orders just flying off of that desk just as fast as he can be presented with them. Um I don't know. Uh, I, I recently saw somebody post on Twitter saying, you know, Trump spent four years undoing Obama and it uh, looks like Biden's probably going to spend four years undoing Trump. And so, uh, yeah, I don't know what that's going to look like it, like for us in the long run. Uh, I, I would certainly hope that we see some form of, you know, relaxing the war on drugs, but I'm not holding my breath. I'm, I'm not going to hold my breath. This is not a far left uh, administration, as many would like you to believe. This is this is a centrist. <laughs> this is a centrist administration, in my opinion. Um, you know, these guys are, are there for one thing and one thing only, and that is to secure the power that they have they have, you know, uh, gotten and make sure that nobody threatens it. And so um, they're going to do what they need to do to, to protect their paycheck and, and to protect themselves. But when it comes to the little people like you and me, they're not caring too much. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, let's pay attention to what's going on in our own backyards. You know, let's try to make a, make a difference where we can. And uh, with that little statement, I'm going to introduce our guest today, which uh, this is Joshua Smith. And I know a lot of you guys probably know who he is, but for those that don't, Josh is someone who has been in the Libertarian Party for quite some time. Um, this is He's running for chair uh, for the upcoming 2022 convention in Reno. He's running for chair of the National Party, and this will be his third time running. Josh is a wonderful person. I've gotten to know him uh, throughout the, you know, the last year and a half or so, and uh, guy's just really easy to talk to, and he's gone through a lot of... A lot of shit you know there's been some people that have been have lashed out at him in a very uh very shitty manner and uh you know he outlines that we we get into some of that but um i i just want to take this time to formally announce that for what it's worth the clean libertarian podcast formally endorses joshua smith for chair of the national party uh I firmly believe that that Josh is the guy who can help change some of the messaging problems we're having on a national level and really start reaching more people with that um, up in your face libertarianism that we need to be seeing. You know, uh, government's not playing around and we don't, we don't need to be playing around either. So, uh, yeah, with that, I'm just going to go ahead and get right into it and bring on Josh. All right, and I'm here with Joshua Smith. How you doing, sir? Oh, I'm doing all right. Thanks a lot for having me, man. I appreciate it. Man, I've been looking forward to this. We've been trying to make this happen for a while. We finally got in the same place at the same time. I'm glad to glad to have that happen. Yeah, um, having, having six kids in the house will, will get you a little busy sometimes. You know? <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> Jesus, that's a uh, you're you're a better man than me, sir. You know, I got a daughter and two dogs and a wife, and that's just that's enough. Sometimes that's a wife enough. is enough. Yeah, you ain't lying there, buddy. So, um, so what? You know, once you give a little intro on yourself, I know who you are, obviously, but maybe in introduce yourself to the audience a little bit. Sure, I'm that uh, that Twitter shit poster that you love to hate, man. You know, <laughs> I, uh, no, I I'm uh, 
you know, I'm I'm an at-large representative for the Libertarian National Committee. Uh, this is my second term. I'm a two-time candidate for chairman of the Libertarian National Committee. I lost by a large margin in 2018. I uh, lost by a much smaller margin in 2020. It was very close. Uh, in fact, so close that I think there needs to be some kind of audit of the results. But hey, you know, whatever, that's fine. Um, uh, you know, I've been involved in the liberty movement in one form or another since about 2008. I was brought here by Ron Paul and, and my time at war. Uh, you know, I, I kind of saw our military industrial complex firsthand. I saw the, the, you know, the dangers of constant foreign intervention um, in Iraq. And <clears throat> it just kind of changed my perspective on who we are. And, you know, I had to start, I just started wondering like, man, are we the bad guys here? You know? <laughs> And, are we uh, the baddies? <laughs> are, we, are we the baddies? And so it was, you know, it was kind of an eye-opening experience for uh, an 18-year-old kid to go to war right after 9-11 and think that you're doing the right thing and then realize like, hey, what the fuck are we doing in Iraq? <laughs> you know? Right. And, uh, so it was it was pretty crazy, man. And um, I found Ron Paul in 2008 and uh, I love the man. I mean, he really just changed my entire life. You know, I, I, I worked on his campaign in 2008 for presidential or for president and uh, in Oakland, California, where it's not easy uh, trying to turn people towards liberty. And that was uh, that was wild. And but it, it, it got me um, into other liberty things as well. I started reading Rothbard and Hayek and watching um, Milton Friedman videos. And I really started opening a window that once you've opened, you just can't close it again, you know, and and. You know, you start learning about how taxation really is theft and, you know, our foreign policy is horrendous and our immigration policy is terrible and the war on drugs has done nothing but criminalize people who needed help. And it's just a constant shit show in, in America and you don't realize it until somebody shoves it in your face, you know, and a lot of people give me guff because I do shit posts and I do troll people online. But, you know, I've trolled so many people to Liberty that it, it's almost like you don't know what you're talking about. I know what I'm doing here. You know, I know I'm like Ron Swanson. I know more than you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and see, here's the thing too, is that, you know, in the, in the process of you doing that, there's people seeing that and they're picking up on, you know, you're, you don't know how many seeds you're planting across the board, you know? And, you know, a lot of the, I've seen the people you go head to head with. These people are assholes. A lot of people, them. they're not, they're not. They're not. I, I, as a delegate at, at the last convention, you know, I personally received an email that was slanderous and libelous, you know, and, and for somebody like you and, and you and I have talked about how, like, dude, that's an inspiration for me because there's a lot of people out there who say shit that aren't true, you know, uh, about, you know, whatever. And seeing you face that and, and still keep your head held high, man, that is a, uh, that's a big thing. Well, yeah, big thing. And the funny thing that 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 email that was referenced was sent out um, by a group of people that was kind of led by a jaded ex girlfriend, uh, and they actually quoted my current girlfriend who I just had a baby with in that in that thing, and and we actually read it together. And she's going, "That's not what I said. That's not at all what I said to these people." And we're sitting here next to each other, and they're trying to make it seem like I've abandoned her and I've abandoned her child and all this stuff. Meanwhile, uh, I hadn't abandoned her. We do have. Our child now was born on December 31st, New Year's Eve. Uh, beautiful baby boy, uh, Mateo Floyd. Uh, Floyd was my grandfather's name who passed away a couple of years ago. Um, and and since then, I've also was lucky enough to, to be granted full custody of my 16-year-old daughter. And we were able to take on her two younger siblings that are not mine biologically, but we've we've brought them into the home and, and given them a place to live instead of foster care. And it's like, 
do you guys know, do you have any idea what you're doing right now? You're using situations that are false uh, to attack somebody who's doing the right thing. And so, yeah. um, but that's been, that's been a common theme throughout my campaigns with, with detractors. I mean, they, they use situations like, like we'll probably get into it with, you know, my, my uh, addiction issues from over a decade ago and me trying to help other people that are addicted or me trying to help other people that have had mental illness issues. Um, they've used that against me as, as an attack and, and my, my family situation. And, uh, you know, they've tried to, pass along that I don't, can't work. And I've been working since I was nine years old. And, you know, it's just, it's just, it's politics. It's a dirty, ugly game. It's war by other means. And, um, these people are in a war that, that at this point they're losing terribly, um, because I've had a huge impact on this movement and I'm going to continue to have a huge impact on this movement, regardless of what they do. And, uh, they, they really just feel my fire, man. I mean, they really do. They, you know, there, there was times where I woke up in the morning and I wanted to drop out and I just remembered like, they're not going to beat me. You're just not going to beat me. I've been through so much in my life that what you guys are doing is is a drop in the bucket and you're not going to beat me. And, you know, when this is all said and over, I'm going to be standing up uh, smiling and you guys are going to be pissed that you can break me. That's awesome, man. I, uh, I applaud you uh, not only for, for being able to face that, but also for the stuff you're doing in your personal life, man, taking on, you know, a couple of kids that aren't even yours biologically. That, that is a huge thing. And, uh, yeah hats off to you brother on that one six yeah. kids in the house there's some days where i you know i, I want to cry on the way home from work but i can know. imagine i'd be crying right now if i were you i'd just be like I, oh my it's god a, it's a labor of love brother i love them all they're they're beautiful and they all have their own little awesome personalities even even when we clash i still love them to death and um you know i don't treat the two other kids any different than i would treat my own kids and uh you know i'm very i'm very happy to have them here and and uh we we get along most of the time <laughs> It's a beautiful thing. Well, I'm going to kind of sidetrack here for just a little bit. Like, let's talk about current events and the Libertarian Party. Um, you know, there's a lot of people who listen to the show who I've talked to on the side, and they don't actually know a lot of what's going on behind the curtain. Uh, they see a lot of this bickering that's happening on Twitter, and they think that that's like representative of the whole of the body. And uh, I'm trying to tell them that that's not the case. Like the Andy Craig's and the you know, the Archie flowers are, are so small in comparison, but they, they, they're just, they're the loser very vocal. It's yeah. the loser brigade. They're the, they're the gatekeepers. And look, here's the deal. And I talk about this all the time, you know, and, and somebody quoted me the other day on Twitter about this It's pretty cool. Uh, the, the, the solution to pollution is dilution, right? Our, our membership body is very small, you know, compared to the two old parties, especially when they have, they're bringing in, you know, multiple millions of dollars every year, multiple hundreds of millions of dollars every year. We're bringing in about $1.7 million every year. We have about 20,000 national members. It's a very small pond, you know, and when it's a small pond, the fish have bigger voices. And so there's just as much bickering in the Republican party. There's just as much bickering in the Democrat party, but the, the party is so small, you have no idea of all the people that are in the party. And then in the, in the libertarian party, I mean, all, most of us can name all the loud voices across the country. Cause we see them all the time on Twitter. We see them all the time, even if they have small followings, you know, uh, most of these, most of these assholes, like the Andrew, the Andy Craig's and, and the, uh, the Elliot Sherman's and the, uh, uh. you know, these, these guys, their, their following is is not even a fraction of what mine is, you know, and my following is not that big. You know, 12,000 followers isn't that, it isn't that much. And so, um, you know, they just have these big, loud voices because everyone knows who they are because the, the pond is so small. So, you know, it's been my goal 
for uh, you know coming up on a decade, but really the last four to five years, very very uh, heavily to merge the libertarian movement with the libertarian party. You know, if we're going to have a party, a political party in this country that bears the name of liberty, um, that that is supposed to support the philosophy of liberty on a political stage, then it needs to support those things, and it needs to be unabashed, and it needs to be uh, unapologetic, and it needs to go out there and scream at the at the nation that hey, man, this this central planning stuff is not working anymore. It's terrible, horrible, horrible. We've watched it for a century. It's it's not working anymore. We need to start letting people run their own lives, and if we're not doing that. We're losing. And so I've been really successful at doing it, pulling off my goal, bringing people to this party and saying, hey, look, we can shut these assholes up if we just continue to bring people into this party that are actual dyed in the wool libertarians that are ready to pass this message along, you know, in, a, in the correct manner. And so right. it's working and their voices are getting small. So what, what it is, is it's it's the death nail, right? It's the it's the the floundering, the the, the flailing. They're losing their hold on their platform. That's all it is. You know, they've had this big platform and this t- tiny party. And so when they see these new people coming in that, um, you know, they haven't put in the work that they have, uh, you know, to, to take 2% in elections, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's scary to them because they don't want to lose the platform because it makes, it's what makes them feel special. And so, they, of course, they're going to flounder. Of course, they're going to flail and try to get people to leave because they don't agree with one or two issue that that person agrees with. So, what do, what do they do? They start pulling leftist tactics, right? They start calling you a racist. They start uh, bringing up personal issues that aren't even true. You know, this is this is all leftist tactics. I mean, this is, you know, what uh you know, just repeat it till it's true. And, and, and honestly, other people too, Gobels and, 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 you know, these people in history, they knew that through propaganda, you can get people to believe whatever you want them to believe. And so that's their little tactic to, to try and keep the party small and to keep these people who are motivated to grow a liberty movement out of the party. And really at the end of the day, what they're doing is they're making themselves look really bad online, but that's not the party, you know, at large either. Like I said, like you said, it's a very small fraction of this party. Um, you know, there's some dissenting voices on the board of the national party too. I'm on, you know, I'm an at-large representative on the board. Uh, there, we don't always get along, but we have board meetings for that. And we take votes for that. And we, you know, we do it democratically if you have to, if you will, which, you know, I'm not a huge fan of democracy, but I do work inside the political sphere. So I get it. Um, but we, we don't always agree, but you know, we don't really go at each other's necks like that. Like Joe, I, I want to run against Joe Bishop Hinchman. Uh, I disagree with a lot of his policies. I disagree with the way he wants to run the party and his vision for the party, but I don't dislike the person as a human. He's a nice guy. I think he's, you know, he's, he's actually been extremely friendly to me. I've been extremely friendly to him. I love his husband. His husband sent me a, a baby blanket for Mateo. I mean, they're really great uh, people. They're nice people, but I just, you know, I just disagree. That's why I'm running. I'm not running because I hate him. Like, you know, like I did Nick Sarwark or something, you know? <laughs> I mean, yeah, Sarwark made it a goal to make people hate him. That dude's yeah. got a fetish. That yeah. dude's got a hate fetish, man. Yeah, he's, a, he's I think he's definitely uh, into some kind of domination stuff. But uh, I just, you know, the, the party is working hard. The party's uh, got a couple of state legislators now from this last uh, election cycle, which is really big for the national party. It's the first time that we've elected a state uh, legislator since the 70s. Um, that's huge. We got Congressman Justin Amash come, you know, turned to libertarian, turned to gold. He's our first uh, libertarian congressman, regardless of how you feel about the guy. That's a that's a big deal that people are looking to the libertarian party in Congress. Uh, we we got you know John Brennan calling us domestic terrorists on 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 CNN. I mean. It, it's starting to show that the Libertarian Party can can make an impact if we do the right things. And I think that you know the party is going more in a direction of doing the right thing. 
And then I think a lot of that has to do with the Mises Caucus. And I've said that several times and some people can disagree with me, but the Mises Caucus has absolutely 100% been the driving force behind uh, bringing new people to this damn party. I mean, it's just, we, you know, the class of 2018 and 2019 and 2020 for the Libertarian Party are the biggest classes they've had uh, in a long time. In 2016, that drive was done by Gary Johnson. There's only like 12% of the, of the party is made up of the class of 2016. Mm-hmm. And, and a large part of the party is made up by the class of 2019, 2020, which has directly come from, from the Libertarian Party, Mises Caucus. So if you're actively working against those people, you're actively working against the growth of your own party. It's pretty terrible. I think it's a bad look. And I think more people are catching on that it's a bad look. And um, I'm not afraid to call those guys out. I'm going to do it. You know, and, and I get some, I get some guff for that too. And that's fine. You know, if you, if you don't like my tactics that I understand, and I'm always willing to have a conversation with you about why I do the things I do, why I tell the people off that I tell off, um, because at the end of the day, they're the ones holding back the party that I love from growth. So, but yeah, the party, the party's doing some good things. And, you know, I think the, the, um, frontier project's been largely successful. That was pretty much how we got a, a Wyoming state legislators because they went out there and they targeted races. They put funds towards targeting races in, in a place that we knew we could probably win and it's working. And I think there's other states where we can start doing that when we expand that, but we have to have new members. We have to have more money. Um, and that's, that's gotta be a focus. And I just don't think that the current chair is, has put a big enough focus on membership, uh, growth and retention. And, and I do, that's what I do. So. Yeah. And I, I'm looking forward to that changing because here's the thing is that we don't make waves and we don't bring in new members by being milk toast and staying vanilla. We have seen outrageous uh, government overstepping over the last year, especially in terms of this pandemic. And it's high time we start really calling that bullshit out Agreed. on a national level. You know, um, now, granted, you know, I live in Oklahoma. We've been able to skirt a lot of that thank God, you know, but, uh, like I know like Angela, you know, she lives out in California. I don't know what it's been like in your back backyard, but like, I was been okay. It's been all right. Has it? Yeah. I left, I left California five minutes before they instituted the 24 hour lockdowns. Oh shit. So you were, I really, yeah, <laughs> smart man. Yeah, I got, I got smart right the man. hell out of there, man. They were like, they were like, uh, shutting down all the bars and restaurants. And then, and then, uh, they started talking about this 24 hour lockdown and I had some extra plane tickets left over. So I, called Julia, who's my girlfriend here. And I was like, look, I'm just going to fly back. I was just in Illinois for the week and I had just flown home. I'm like, you know, I'm going to fly back out to Iowa and, and just quarantine with you for a little bit. Okay. And she's like, all right. And I did. And, uh, I came out here. I found a really good job. We have, found out she was pregnant and it was like, well, I'm, I'm an Iowa boy. I'm a Midwest boy. Now I better go buy a snowblower. Got some roots, man. <laughs> look at you. Yeah. I went, we went and visited, uh, my wife's family on Thanksgiving. They live in Illinois. And, um, one of the things I like to do when I'm out of town is, is hit up a meeting out of town, you know, uh, like seeing how it's done in other places and, and things like that. And um, they said they lost like 30 to 40 percent of their core members because of the lockdowns that happened at that meeting hall. And that shit that I take really personally. And when I see prominent members of the party, uh, you know, talking about things other than government overstepping and trying to get further involved in, in the culture war. Mm, uh, take that shit personal, man. And I think that we need to see a change in that because there's a lot of people looking to their fellow man for, for solutions right now. You know, a lot of people are talking about banding together and really getting a more community driven focus back. Why not be the party that really puts that at the forefront that, you know, it is truly us versus them. Like, let's be unifying in that. And then we can figure out all this weird, you know, culture shit later on. 
Yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't know, man. That's my. No, I agree. Opinion. I agree. I think. I think we've been <coughs> toast. I think. I think we've had so many situations handed to us on a silver platter over over the entirety of 2021 or 2020 and now into 2021. I mean, literally, it's been an entire year of government overreach being handed to us as libertarians on a silver platter, and we stayed quiet. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't balk again out against the against the, uh, the the lockdowns. We didn't balk out against the the shuttering of businesses. Um, you know, it's it's pure fascism. You know, we, we have these people in the streets that say they're protesting fascism, uh, but but the real people are pro- who are protesting fascism or who are protesting the merger of state and and corporate corp- corporate power. I mean, that's what fascism is. Benito uh, Mussolini said directly. Uh, you know, it should be called corporatism. Fascism should be called corporatism because it is the merging of state and corporate power, and that's what's going on right now. Because you have a small business, you're not allowed to keep it open, but Walmart's allowed to stay open. Amazon's allowed to stay open. Target's allowed to stay open. You know, these, these big chain, huge restaurants, they're allowed to have people in, but, but because they have enough room, right? But really what it is, is they're, you know, these are special interest groups. You know, these are people that actually lobby the government for all kinds of different regulations to keep small businesses out of the market. Yeah. Um, that's, that's merging corporate power in the state. That is literally like what fascism is, you know, they're nationalizing these, these industries and they're destroying the middle class. I mean, if if the middle class survives at all after 2020 and this, and the beginning of 2021, I'll be extremely shocked, extremely shocked. I mean, every small business owner in America right now is hurting all of them. And, uh, you know, and now right after this election's over, they start opening everything back up. You know, we're, we got we got AMC movie theaters that are getting ready to open across the country. Uh, you, the restaurants are just, just literally two days after inauguration, they open the restaurants in DC. Uh, they're reopening all public schools across the country over the next hundred days. I mean, how more blatant could you be? Right. You didn't care about these people. What you cared about was your elections. What you cared about was winning the Senate and winning the, you know, your your presidential election. That's what you cared about. So much so you hated Donald Trump so much so. That you were willing to destroy the middle class in America, uh, you know, make people destitute, make people so dependent on the con- on the on the government that you were willing to take that they're willing to take six hundred dollars as as hush money, you know, and 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 all this to win an election. Don't ever tell me again that you care about black lives. Don't ever tell me you care about <laughs> white lives. Don't ever tell me you care about Asian lives because you don't care about any lives. What you care about is lining your pockets and winning elections and. Um, you know, that's where the libertarians are different. We we care about people. We actually care so much about people that we want to bring them the philosophy of liberty. We want them to be able to run their own lives. We don't want to tell them what they have to do every single day. We don't want to lock them in rape cages uh, for something as small as smoking a plant, right? And so we had, like I said, we had all these these opportunities just laid out on a silver platter. And what do we do? We, we wasted them. We wasted yeah. them all because we had a chair that didn't want to go against the grain. You know, we have a chair that probably, in my opinion, would like to reach out more to the Democrats than the Republicans. You know, in, in my opinion, I want to reach out to the more than half the country that's so jaded with the two-party politics that they just have opted out. We need right. to be that voice for those people. We need to be that voice that says both these parties suck. You know, it's not just Republicans or Democrats. Both these parties find bipartisan support for wars. They find bipartisan support for the drug war. They find bipartisan support for the Federal Reserve and and the money printer. And we need to be that party that is a landing for all those people who are done with those. And so I think we just squandered so many chances over the last year. And that's another one of the that's one of the main factors in me deciding that I wanted to run for chair because I know 
if 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 you hate me, you can hate me, but my messaging is on point, and it's going to stay that way, especially when I'm the leader of the of the what should be the the biggest political party in this country. That's awesome, man. I'm you got me pumped up, man. Uh, obviously, the the Clean Libertarian podcast will be giving a formal endorsement for Joshua Smith for chair. Um, I'm looking forward to that. If nothing else, then despite those fuckers who sent the email to this delegate last year. Fuck those people, man. A lot of those, lot of those assholes will have literally stated that they'll leave the party if I become chair of this party. Oh my God, that's even better. Let's so, do it. Yeah, I mean, that's, if, if you vote for me for no other reason, vote for me to get rid of absolute scumbags from this. this <laughs> that's awesome. Um, one, one other question I wanted to ask you was, can, can you kind of explain some of the things that you've seen as an at-large member, like how are affiliates reacting post uh, the election? Like what, what's the, what's the kind of the consensus that you're getting from, from your, your state chairs or county chairs and, and your read or. I mean, that? there's, it's really weird. You know, the states are autonomous affiliates, right? Um, right. We don't have any say over what the states do. And so, but there's always some, one state or two states or three states that don't even want to be affiliated. They're all pissed off. You got some issues in Oregon. You had uh, Rhode Island who refused to work with National. You've had uh, some people in Minnesota, the chair of the party, who didn't want to work with National. Um, you know, but but states are are you know after the election, I think a lot of people were kind of bummed out with the the very small amount of votes that we got for our, our presidential campaign. Again, I think it was a huge messaging error. I think that's what happened. You know, they had some really hardcore radical uh, um, presidential campaign staff on that staff and that they, they were removed. Uh, and the, the pragmatists took a hold of that campaign. They made it so milquetoast that the people that would have supported that campaign just walked away. They didn't care. They either voted for Trump or they just didn't vote. And uh, I think we lost probably you know a, a lot of votes. I mean, millions of votes maybe because of the messaging. And I think that's just been kind of a, a symptom of the way the party's been going since 2000 or 2004. You know, I think that's just the symptom of, of this. Uh, we need to run failed um, uh, politicians who are milk toast and don't hold a bunch of libertarian views. And, you know, like the Bill Welds of the party. And um, I think, I think it was a right, a step in the right direction to actually um, nominate a couple of radical, pretty radical candidates for president and, 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 uh, vice president. I love Spike. He's one, he's a good, very, very good friend of mine. I love Spike to death. It's a good um, dude. He's just very an amazing dude. guy. I, you know, I didn't always agree with his messaging a hundred percent, but I agreed with his messaging like 90%. Um, and, and, uh, <clears throat> He really, he really cares. He's a very principled dude. Um, even if you disagree with him on some things, he's, he's very principled dude. So, um, they, they kind of all shifted to spikes campaign and, and all the milk toast messaging stayed on, on Joe's campaign. I think that was a big failure. And I think a lot of States saw that was a big failure. And I think a lot of States are, you know, kind of defeated feeling like they put in a lot of time and effort for a campaign that didn't do very well. Um, but I mean, it was really just kind of a normal presidential campaign for the Libertarian Party, if you think about it. You know, it was uh, half of what Gary Johnson did, but normal for the rest of the rest of the year the party's been around. You know, and so, yeah. um, and it was a very, very divisive election. You know, with with Trump and and Biden. I mean, you know, we we've cultivated this this culture of fear politics in this country, where it's like I have to win, we have to win to beat this person, and it's like. That's why we're, we are where we are right now. This is exactly the reason why we're here because we've cultivated this culture and it, it's, it's horrible, but that's the truth. And that had a lot to do with it too. I think we would have pulled a lot more votes with better messaging, but at the end of the day, 
none of us were under any illusion that we were going to win the presidential election. You know, uh, that would just be insane to think that, but I thought we would do a lot better. And I think some of the states thought we'd do a lot better. So there, you know, but the state affiliates, it really just depends on what state you're in. They, they all, they all work hard in their own ways. They all have their own, um, goals and, and, and things they want to do. And, you know, last term I was lucky enough to be the chair of the affiliate support committee. I got to do a lot of work with affiliates for affiliates. Um, I loved it very much. Unfortunately, Joe Bishop Hinchman saw fit to replace me with, uh, Valerie Sarwark, if you can believe that, um, this term. Yeah, so I can't I no believe longer, that. Yeah, I was the, uh, oh. I was the, the chair of the most successful affiliate support committee the party's had, uh, in, in my time with the party. And so it was kind of a bummer, but you know, it's just another one of those things. It's a difference of vision. It's a difference of, uh, of, of a path for the party. And that's why I'm running for chair because you have, as the chair, you have the power to do stuff like that. You know, the, the chair has the power to control all the social media for the national party. And we know that's been a mess. So give it over, yeah. <laughs> you know, let yeah. me take a hold. I, I know what I'm doing. I know how to work social media. I know how to grow followings. And, and, uh, you know, I think I, I think I do really good there. So but yeah, the states are good. I just, I wish I could still be a part of the affiliate support committee, but you know me, man, I'll do some travel and I'll help out states where they need it. I'll do some fundraising and, and, uh, membership calls and whatever else they need me to do. Yeah. So who, I know Jess Mears just stepped down. Who is that that's replacing Jess Mears for the membership? Do they have one yet? No, it's not replaced fully yet. Um, we lost Daniel Fishman, our executive director, uh, and then Jess, not long after that. So it's, it's, you know, it's a mess. Jess was great. Jess was one of my favorite people in, in the party. Uh, she was one of the hardest working people in the staff. You know, she had a lot to do with keeping the membership that we had. Uh, uh-huh. It's, I think it's a travesty that she felt that she needed to step down and leave. I really do. I think it was a very, very, very bad thing for the party. Yeah. She was a, uh, she's a sweetheart, man. I got to meet her at the, uh, last Oklahoma convention. And she was there obviously with, she was Joe's handler and uh, just wonderful, wonderful person. Now, Dan, no loss there in my opinion, but you know, I have, I have my own issues with, it's my podcast. I'm going to say it, man. Dan Fishman's an asshole. Like there was a lot of shady stuff that happened leading up to that convention. Uh, I know you were on the floor. I was unable to make it because we were actually in uh, quarantine at that time. My, my wife and I, so I couldn't leave. So we actually had to do the, you know, remote uh, participation, but just the shit that was being said in that zoom call, as opposed to what was happening on the floor, dude. And it was all like Dan was at the helm of it, you know? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, they want they they were scared. There was a lot of people scared that I was going to win, and you know, there's still some people even on the LNC right now that really want to do an audit of the of the votes because the vote totals for all the motions were around 630 votes total. And uh, as soon as the chair election went, there was not over 900 votes and a bunch of unvetted um, delegates. And and when we called the the delegation chair uh, Susan Hogarth up on stage, she didn't really have an answer for it. Uh, she was kind of mean to people that were asking about it. And yeah, that was sketchy. That I remember yeah. that was pretty sketchy. And then, and then, and then, you know, I lost by only 115 votes. So if you really do the math is, you know, there's a good possibility that it could have gone the other way. Had it only been those 630 votes that had been voting, we had the room. I mean, there's just no doubt if you were in that room, you knew we had the room period. Right. Um, I don't, I don't know so much about the zoom cause I wasn't on the zoom and I refused to watch what they recorded, uh, because I know what was being said about me. I could actually hear it at one point. They said someone left their mic on and they decided that they were going to call me a deadbeat, uh, 
domestic yeah. abuser, yeah. deadbeat dad, and all this stuff. While while they were playing my um, endorsement video on the big screen, I was like, "Oh, that's real cool. Thanks, Dan." Because Dan yeah. had control over all the mutes on that. So, yeah, it was it was pretty ugly. You know, I thought we did enough to win, but you know, we didn't. So life moves on, and and I keep doing what I do. Well, I'm gonna. I, I'm I'm betting that we're going to see a uh, favorable turnout in in Reno, and I look forward to seeing you there. I look forward to Oklahoma, man. You guys almost unanimously voted for me. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. We were pissed. Oklahoma was mad, big mad. We I know, were big mad going to that. <laughs> <laughs> I love Oklahoma. Well, you know, I don't know if you know the the story from the 2018 Oklahoma convention when I was on my first campaign, but I I showed up to Oklahoma. Um, and it was about seven thirty at night, and I was sitting outside uh, by Adam Kokesh's bus, smoking a cigarette. And I was tired. You know, I didn't even have my tie all done up yet or anything. And Aaron Adams runs out, and she goes, "Josh." And I go, "What?" She goes, "You're gonna run the meeting." I said, "I'm gonna what now?" Jesus. I'm like, it starts in twenty-five <laughs> minutes, fifty minutes or whatever. She's like, she's like, you're gonna run the meeting. The chair doesn't want to run the meeting. We thought David Demarest was gonna do it, but he just wants to call the meeting to order. You have to run the meeting. And I said, I've never run a, a convention before. You know, I've run meetings and stuff, and I know a little bit about Roberts rules and stuff. And and I'm running to chair a national political party, right? And so she's like, No, do you want to be the chair? Do, she's her exact words were, Do you want to be the fucking chair of the Libertarian National Committee or not? Yes. And I said, I said, uh, Well, yeah, I, that's why I'm in my like 13th state right now. You know, and she's like, Then you get in there and you chair this this convention. And I was like tightened up my tie and I went running inside and I, you know, I had about 10 minutes to look over the, the it, they wanted a whole new platform proposal, whole new bylaws institution. There was like three censure motions, including the censure of Joe exotic. Uh, and there was all this stuff and I had never done any of it. And I was like, all right, here we go. And, and I, you know, David Demarest called it to order and I, I did pretty good. And, and Rex Lawhorn was sitting in the back of the room. Rex is a good friend of mine. I don't know. I, I know there's been some beef between the caucus and him, but Rex is a good friend of mine. I love Rex. And uh, every time I started to do something that was wrong, Rex in the back of the room would be like, rules, 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 rules. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, they kept me on track. And, and in fact, we got done a little bit early in a very contentious meeting. I mean, those there was the censure of Arvind Vora, who was the uh, vice chair of the Libertarian National Committee at the time, and the, and the censure motion of Joe Exotic, I mean, who was running for governor at the time. And I, so I, I'm actually the one who presided over the, the Libertarian Party censure of Joe Exotic, the Tiger King. So nice. if you're watching this Netflix, I don't know why you didn't bring me <laughs> on the documentary, but you probably should have, you know? Yeah. So, but yeah, it was, it was really cool. I had never wanted to run a convention and we did really well. And, uh, and as soon as it was over, I had to have a couple of drinks cause I was just defeated, <laughs> but it was fun. It was a good time. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I, and that, and I, Aaron and Rex are two very two of my favorite people. Oh, I mean, they're I found Aaron's, my tribe here, man, in yeah. Oklahoma. Aaron's like my damn sister, man. I mean, I, you know, me and Aaron have been into so many other states together, and she has just been. I wouldn't be half the person I am in this movement if it wasn't for Aaron Adams pushing me to do the right thing. I love Aaron Adams with all my heart. Uh, she's family to me forever. So, that's man. She's a she's a pit bull too. That's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. She's not going to sugarcoat that bad boy at all. Oh, damn it. That's great. So, um, well, man, that's, that's actually pretty interesting. So you, you were, you were the chair of the censure of, uh, Joe exotic. Yeah. Netflix. Where you at? 
Yeah. Do follow up with the chair who who helped censure Joe Exotic yeah. from the National Political Party. Come on. That's that's a big league right there, man. Look I at know, this. I'm watching this documentary going, I didn't even get a phone call or nothing. <laughs> bullshit, man. <laughs> Some bullshit. Um, so and the now's as good a time as any. I have ADD. Why not? Let's just bring oh, it up. Uh, <laughs> too much. Me too. I could not do what I do if I didn't have ADD. Son of a bitch, man. It's just like squirrel, you know, I'm gone. Um, so tell me your story, man. How did you, um, how did you find, uh, recovery? How, sure, how did sure. you get 10 years clean? Well, you know, so when I was in the military, you know, I had dabbled in high school and stuff. And then, um, when I went to the military is when I really kind of just, you know, I, I, I found, I met a bunch of dudes that did all kinds of weird things. And, you know, I was going through a divorce and my, you know, my, my, ex-wife and daughter had moved to another state and I was just a mess, you know? And so I started dabbling around in drugs, uh, in San Diego. And, uh, before I knew it, I had a very expensive habit, <laughs> you know, and I, enjoyed, I, Wait, I enjoyed it. yeah, well, and then I had, you know, I had moved back to the Bay area, California, where there's, you know, everybody parties all the time. There's all these crazy parties in San Francisco. And it was just like, I was promoting uh, clubs and I was singing in bands and I was doing all this stuff, but really inside I was like, I had so much turmoil and I already had had, you know, problems with depression for a long time. And, um, you know, I had been self-medicating with alcohol and, and drugs for a long time, but really got into heavier stuff. You know, I was a big opiate fan, a big cocaine fan, um, especially together. And, uh, that's scary, scary stuff. Trust me, don't do it kids. It's bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and well, I did that for, all. yeah, I did that for a long time. And, um, you know, I, I, I had a couple friends that passed away from overdoses. Uh, I had a friend that got shot in a drug deal. And, um, you know, I, I had already kind of got to a point where it was like, man, if I have to see one more sunrise, you know, at seven o'clock in the morning and, and, and I'm rolling around sweating and shaking and trying to go to sleep and my heart's racing and I'm afraid I have to go to the hospital and my anxiety is terrible. And if I have to do this one more time, you know, I, I think maybe it's just, that's it, you know? And, um, and then I, I had a big, long talk with my sister one time. My, my, my mom was sick and I went and uh, sat in a car with my sister at like nine o'clock in the morning. I hadn't been asleep and, uh, you know, I broke down and I was just telling her I'm done. I don't want to be like this anymore. And, um, so I just, I started not doing it anymore. You know, I just kind of gave it up. I know, I know that my story's a little weirder than other people's, you know, a lot of people have to go get treatment and go to NA and all this stuff. I just, I just gave up and I was just, I was so tired of the feeling of being an addict and not taking care of my priorities, you know, the the things that should matter in my life that I just, I just quit. I just quit. And it was, it was hard, you know, and I, and I stumbled a couple of times, you know, over, over the next year or so. But once I was done, I was done, man. And, um, you know, that was in God, I was 20, 28. So it's got to be, I mean, we're pushing a decade here. I know that for sure. Nice, man. <laughs> for a long time. Yeah, we're pushing a decade. I think we're almost at 10 years because I'm 37 now. I'll be 38 in March. So, um, you know, and I, and I still, I still drink sometimes from time to time, but I, you know, I, it was another drinking was another one of those things where it was just like, I didn't like it. I still don't really like it. And I actually, I've had two drinks in the last year, uh, now. Cause I think it, at some point it got to a point where it was like, I don't even like having a taste of liquor anymore. Um, but also, you know, when, when you drink, you start thinking about other things, you want to do all kinds of other stuff. So I tried to stay away from that. And, um, but the, the drugs were just, they were killing me, man. I was very, very skinny and, 
I wasn't eating right and I wasn't sleeping correctly. And I pissed off everyone I knew and I'd lost a ton of friends and, you know, good friends that I'd had my whole life. And so I quit. And in fact, it's funny, we're, we're talking about this, uh, chair campaign in 2018. I, I had started this, this, uh, Facebook page, uh, Joshua Smith and the motivation, right? That was what it's called. And it was all about helping people that were like in recovery or people who were experiencing, you know, detrimental mental health issues and, and, or people who were still using and having, you know, crazy nights like me where I would wake up in my car to a cop banging on my door and throw up on their boots and, you know, this kind of stuff. And I actually gave like real testimonies of stuff that I had done and stuff that I had been through and how I kind of just overcame it. And, um, you know, how I started thinking about what was more important to me, you know, my life and my priorities. And, um, they found that page during my campaign and, and started using it to, to tear me down and trash me and be like, this guy's bipolar and this guy had a drug problem. And this guy, you know, used to drink a lot. And it's like, yeah, I used to do all that stuff. You're right. I literally put it out in the public as a testimony to how I got better. And you trying to use that has no effect on me whatsoever. No, I mean, and just beyond that, what a shitty thing to do. Let it be known. To anybody listening, if you intend to use this podcast as a uh, means of ammunition, I will come after you personally. No, we're not doing that. No, congratulations to you on your on your recovery. And even more so now, I mean, because now you're two two years ahead than you were back then. So yep. well, and it's in, you know, it's you know, now that I have all these kids, you know, I don't know if we talked about that at the beginning of the podcast a little bit, but, um, I got custody of my 16 year old daughter. Uh, we just had the new baby, me and my girlfriend, she's got her two kids, her two girls that are three and, and eight. Um, and then I was all, uh, blessed enough to get custody of my daughter's two little siblings that are not mine biologically that we have in the home now. And, uh, if I had not cleaned up, if I had not started doing the things that I needed to do, I wouldn't have been in a place to, to be able to do that stuff. And so it's, it's been a blessing for me, um, to, to be so secure and so set and so stable, uh, after almost 10 years of doing the right things, um, that I was able to take on six kids, you know, and, 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 uh, and care for them and feed them and house them and clothe them and, get them to appointments and, and, uh, much needed medical care and, and, uh, you know, working on therapy and just all this great stuff that they've needed for a long time. And so, you know, if I hadn't done the the right things 10 years ago and continue to try to do the right things, I would be in no place to do that. So, uh, if you're watching this and you've used my family situation against me, or, uh, you know, the fact that I cleaned up my act 10 years ago against me, go fuck yourself. Cause, uh, we're doing great. Our family is very, very happy. Um, and, uh, if I was everything that you said I am, I would not be in a place to be able to do the things that I'm doing now. So you look like an idiot. Yeah. As a male figure, especially when it comes to family court, we get scrutinized more than, than the other half. And that's just, that's just the way it is, man. As the man in the relationship, you have more hoops to jump through. I don't care what anybody says. That's just the way that it shakes out. So the fact that you got custody speaks volumes to where you're at in life right now. And I applaud you, man. That well, means you're some, kicking ass. It took some really bad shit on the other end of that for me to actually get that. You know, it was like, it wasn't something I first try. It had been trying for many years and finally got to a point where it was so bad over there that it, they had to come here. And it was like, thanks a lot for, you know, making us wait 10 years, but um, I'm glad that it happened now. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, one thing that I, that I have everybody, do who comes on the show, um, who 
has found some abstinence, you know, in recovery. Uh, what would you tell your former self, somebody that's struggling to get clean? They don't see a way out of it. And they, they, they've kind of just started to grasp the concept that maybe they can live without drugs. Oh man, life is so much more beautiful when it's not through cocaine colored glasses, man. I'm telling you, that's, you know, I, I, I was a dumb kid who did a lot of really dumb things. And I thought that that was all my life was ever going to be. And I found so much more happiness outside of being high that, um, I would never trade it for the world. And, and if I had known, you know, 15 years ago, what I know now at almost 40, uh, I never would have, I never would have picked the stuff up. I just wouldn't have, it would have been, it would have been a whole different life for me. Um, you know, I say that I'm stable and I have a, a good enough place now where I can do the things that I'm doing, but I can be so much further, you know, I could be making double what I'm making now and I could have, uh, bought two houses and have a rental property. I could have done a lot more with my life. Um, I'm doing it now, you know, and, and at almost 40, so I still got plenty of time, but, um, life's just so much more beautiful when you're not high. It really it is. is. Yeah, it really is. Words of wisdom right there, Josh. And I, I got to say that uh, not everybody finds recovery the same way. You know, for me, it took, <laughs> I think I, I've been to 20 inpatient rehabs. <laughs> Jeez. Wow. I, I am a retread, brother. It took like a while. I, I, it took it a while. Took a minute. So, uh, <laughs> it you know, it worked. But it worked. that was my story. And your story is, you know, you, you finally hit your bottom and you found a way out. Either which way, man, is that we're both living testaments to the fact that there is life beyond the party. Oh dude. And there's so, and it's better. It's a better life, man. I like yeah. the party. The party was great, man. I don't get me wrong. I had a good time. I met a lot of people that are, I'm still friends with to, to this day, but I'll tell you 75% of those people that hung out with me when I was partying, they're all gone. They're all gone. They either don't want to be friends with me anymore. Cause I don't party or they're dead. Uh, and yeah. that's, that's a very realistic fact is that when you do a lot of drugs, you can die. It only takes yeah. one bag one. And, uh, and, uh, I got friends that are in jail because of it for a lot, for a long time, you know, and, and, and people, it's just, it's not worth it, man. Like I get it. Every, everyone, everyone has like little times where they do this and do that, but just don't let that shit take a hold of you because on the other side is a much, a much greener grass. I promise. That's awesome. Um, well, Josh, thank you so much for, for coming on the, uh, the show and talking to us. Um, is there anything you want to plug, you know, beyond obviously you're, you're running for chair. Uh, yeah, I'm running for chair again. Cause now I'm a perennial candidate, you know? Yeah. Third, and then, you know, as a libertarian, anybody who's questioning me running for a third time, the one thing that I've heard from this party over and over and over again is you have to run three times to win an election. Right. And, and, and that's coming from the libertarians. So, so I don't know why anybody's questioning why I'm running a third time, but Hey, you know, I am running for chair. I would love it very much if you could join your state party, become a delegate to the national convention in 2020 uh, in Reno, Nevada at the golden, the, the newly revised and remodeled golden nugget. It's going to be an absolute blast. Um, if you've never been to Reno, it's like little dirty Vegas. So it's pretty cool. Um, it's also in Nevada. You can go shoot machine guns and stuff. Uh, yeah, they have, they have gun ranges where you can shoot fully auto and all kinds of, it's, it's, it's like a libertarian paradise. We're going to have a good time there. You can still smoke in the buildings, which is kind of cool. What? Uh, yeah. Shit. yeah. Oh yeah, man. At the restaurants and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Uh, Nevada's a weird state, man. Cause you know, in, in Clark County where, where Vegas is and stuff, it's pretty, it's pretty leftist these days, but the rest of it is all Ron Paul, like old school conservatives. It's really strange. Um, 
so there's that. Obviously, follow me on Twitter. I, I really go for the jugular of a, a cowardice society on Twitter. If you follow me on Twitter already, you know I don't pull any punches. Uh, you can get me at Joshua at large. So that sign, Joshua at large. Uh, and then my podcast is 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 returning to the airwaves uh, within the next couple of weeks. We will have Break the Cycle. I have built an actual uh, set studio in my home, in my basement. Um that will have all kinds of cool backdrop stuff. It's a, it's going to be couch stream. So I've set it up so that my mic ha- is on a coffee table. We have a couch, a really nice DSLR camera, a brand new microphone. That's kind of cool. Glows red. I got lighting, professional lighting, all this stuff. So I'm going to be doing uh, at least one live stream a week. Um, so if you want to, if you want to get alerted about that, please go to fight the death spots on YouTube and subscribe there. Um, please subscribe to my channel because we need a thousand to do like little streams and stuff. And so I think we're at like 560 followers now. So we're getting close, we're getting close. Um, but yeah, that, that podcast is going to be at least once a week solo until I find a, uh, a, a good co-host. And then I'm going to try to do two a week. And the second one will be interview style, uh, like this, but it's going to be very professional. Um, and it's got a, uh, opening song by uh, whiskey grenade, called wood chipper go burr and it's nice. gonna be, uh it's, it's gonna be a really cool intro if you know me i don't like pedophiles and so uh, <laughs> having an intro to my podcast that's about sticking uh uh pedophiles into wood chippers is, is just perfect that's great um, right, man he, yeah, did started, the, uh, he did the intro for this one too i know I he did i know yeah, yeah. I, I reached out to him and i'm like i listen i know you did the intro song for the clean libertarian <laughs> but the, the wood chipper song i've shared it several times and i'm like this is like my favorite song i love pop punk music first of all i'm a big pop punk fan um and i'm, I'm starting a podcast at a ground floor with twelve thousand followers Okay. So it, it's going to be cross promotional. I love, I love the kid to death or the guy. I don't know how old he is. Um, I love his band. I love the music. Definitely check him out. Uh, I know that the, the final draft, I know they're working on like an actual release and stuff for all that stuff. So, um, great. I'm really excited to use that and I'm glad that he gave me permission and, and we can do some cross promotion, but, uh, so definitely, definitely subscribe to fight the despots on YouTube. I'll be changing it in the next couple of days to break the cycle with Joshua Smith. So that it actually has the podcast name on it, but the name of the podcast will be break the cycle with Joshua Smith. Uh, it'll be an hour of me going directly for the jugular of a cowardice society live at least once a week. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And I, I look forward to seeing all you guys there and, and, uh, thank you again so much for having me on, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. And I'll put all that information uh, in, into the show notes and put it on Twitter and, and everything, man. We'll get you those those thousand followers, 1,200, however much you need. Appreciate but, uh, it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we will uh, we'll be talking to you soon, Josh. I, I, I hope you know this isn't the only time you're going to be coming on here. If I can get you back on oh, the dude, future. I'll come back on anytime, man. Absolutely. Love all right, Josh. You have a good night, sir. Hey, you too, brother. All right, there you have it. Thanks a lot for Joshua Smith to come on. It's always uh, nice whenever somebody who is uh, that high up within the party actually talks about some of their their past experiences and 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 what has kind of brought them to where they're at today. You know, uh, Josh wears that on his sleeve, and that's something that I I very much so respect. And other people, especially people who've clawed their way out of addiction, and so. Um, you know, if, if you are like me and you would like to see more radical messaging uh, coming from the Libertarian National Party, if you, you would like to see more bold voices being given the spotlight as opposed to the milk toast, you know, watered down messages that we've been seeing, 
I promise you, as much as I wish this wasn't true, but I promise you, nobody is gauging whether or not to continue the messaging as is based upon how much bullshit they catch on Twitter. You actually have to become involved. And how that happens is you find out how to get involved at your state affiliate, right? You become, you know, you get selected to be a delegate and that changes, you know, on a state by state basis. Like here in Oklahoma, you know, we have elections leading up to the convention and the body decides who is going to be the delegate to go to the national convention. So, but they're not going to elect you if they don't know you, right? So you need to go and introduce yourself, become involved to whatever extent that you can. And hell, if you are sympathetic to the Mises caucus and you would like to do that, I'm sure that the state, uh, you know, uh, affiliate for the Mises caucus would, would be more than happy to have you on. But at any rate, go get involved, become a delegate and let's get Joshua Smith in the seat, right? It's time for a change. And so, um, yeah, like I said, formal endorsement, Joshua Smith for LP national chair. Let's make it happen guys. And that's going to bring us into our song of the day. And this is a band called Pennywise. And I, I can't remember. Shit, I might have played this song before. I don't know, man. It's just a fun song. It's called Bro Him by Pennywise. Uh, old school punk rock song. I think you'll like it. So uh, here you go. Pennywise, Bro Him. To all my friends, present, pass and beyond. Especially those who weren't with us too long. Life is the most precious thing you can lose. While you were here, the fun was never ending. Life a minute was only beginning. Can I call it Nichols? This one's for you! Thing that you can lose. While you are here, fun was never ending. 